0: This episode discusses suicide and suicidal ideation. Some people may find this distressing. If you or someone you know is struggling, please talk to a friend, a family member or somebody you trust. Ask your GP for help or free phone Samaritans on 116 123. Free phone from any phone in Ireland. You're never alone. Support is available 24-7, 365 days a year. Don't suffer in silence. Help is on hand. Is they still get better.
1: The hip
2: knocker. Episode 149 of the Talk of Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Teddy Flower. It's me, COB. And this week, we're joined by Danny O'Brien. You could be D.O. baby I know
0: manager, I, mean. I didn't oh, want to pull like it yeah. me Oh my
2: god My cousin, cousin. My cousin Danny That's my only cop Now What's what He's yeah. Look like each other yeah. 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 What's happening Danny How's things How are you okay I'm all good
1: Yeah I've got to ring my elf And i got a few questions Yeah <laughs> 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 Tell us we had a good
2: looking cousin That's uh, I heard a little rumour When I come in Danny You're friends with Willa as well I oh, am yeah. Sorry to her. <laughs> and um, I heard you can do a good Willa impression. Ah, oh, Listen
1: Roy 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 <laughs> I'm not being smart now do you
0: know what I love about Willa? He's full of similes and he's full of sayings and he's just full of words of wisdom and he said something to me the other day and I can't get it out of my head since and this was on Friday, yeah, it's Monday now. He said, You weren't saved from drowning to be kicked to death on the beach and I was like, I know exactly what that means. Yeah. I know what it means. Yeah. I know what it means, and I was like, do you know what? You're fucking dead right, Willa. And that's what I love about him. He has so many sayings. I was on the beach with
1: Willa in Spain's. We were doing gigs over there in uh, March, I think. And uh, I remember the sun was battering down. We were like the most Irish-looking people on the beach, you know what I mean? We were just like fluorescent pink. He goes, if you can't get the sun, get the herald or the star <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's Willa. Yeah. That's Willa.
2: Hey, are we any singers? No. What the point on the spot? Maybe? Yeah. Oh, I think Do you know people? where the singer is, Danny? No. It's just a needle or a would you rather? Do you have any good ones that are parked off the back of your head? Would you rather? Like a little icebreaker,
1: you know? Uh, I've got a few horrible ones, all right. Well, I do <laughs> Be careful now, because <laughs>
2: if you a few dodgy ones. i yeah. like, i avoid that. Let me think. No pleasure.
0: Would you rather Here we go. have right. fee for hands or the other way around? Hands for fee? Yeah. Hands, hands for fee. fee isn't it? Like a monkey going around. Yeah. Like a gibbon. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't
2: be one. Imagine. You couldn't be down that place.
1: I grew up in Wicklow. I'd be like absolutely booting it around the trees. like yeah. a man.
0: <laughs> What are them monkeys called? Did you ever see them monkeys? So I was in a hotel last week and they had an outdoor jacuzzi, yeah? Mm. And the steam is everywhere. And I mean, you're just sitting in it up the chain. You See them monkeys that sit in the Himalayas, yeah, and they're yeah, in the yeah. hot springs. That's what I was, I was trying to explain it to me board while well, a minute, And she's like, What are you on about? I was like, Do You never see the monkeys, I don't know what monkeys they are. She's like, What the you're talking about? And I wouldn't google it because they want to grow, yeah. i yeah, never yeah. be found. Oh, that's hot spring monkey be a great name just, for a band. Just google <laughs> hot spring monkeys. So, Terence doesn't watch these documentaries, you know, about nature and all. So, I'm trying to get him into them. There was one group of these monkeys that live in the bleeding Himalayas, yeah, yeah. snow all year round, you're gonna freeze to death. And he's sitting in these, like, natural hot springs. The water's fucking roasting. Steam everywhere. Just up to that chain. It's great looking. So drinking they started jacuzzis, like, it? Probably they? did. It probably did. But because they have a hierarchy, like, someone's in charge. And if, like someone pisses him off he can control who sits in that and who doesn't so he's like us two can sit in it and they're like Danny you have to sit outside. so it's just one monkey sitting on the edge freezing frost all over him and all dying and the rest of them are just sitting in it it's played mad
1: <laughs> loads of them having the crack and then one of them just doing like an ice bath basically well. yeah, it's like Wim Hof sitting on the outside there,
2: Yeah. Uh, before we go any further this is going to go out on a so we have a live show Tomorrow night So Friday 24th of November There's only a handful Of resale tickets Left I think So if you want to join us Get his tickets Now Yeah we'll check So we can't be making
0: promises Just yeah. check Take a So You might get tickets I'll You might today. not Just check
2: it's Monday as we're recording So i check today And there's a couple of resale tickets So I'll double check it And if the tickets there Join us on the night
0: Little last minute
2: thing Yeah Jump on board Right Danny With every guest We'd like you To take us back to the start What's your name Where are you from And what was life like Growing up for you
1: uh it's good i'm actually doing a tour show at the moment called sweet child o'brien so this is this is a brilliant this this is a perfect question fucking brilliant (laughs) so my name is danny o'brien i grew up in dublin then i moved to wicklow so i'm a bit of a dublin-wicklow hybrid and uh i moved down to wicklow when i was about nine and then i moved back to dublin when i was about 18. was working was traveling for a couple of years dropped out of college went to australia Uh, I left when Ireland was booming and chippies were millionaires and everyone was doing buckets of cocaine and buying houses and buying gaffes abroad. And then I came back in 2008 and the whole financial collapse of the country had happened. So I left in the great times and came back for probably the worst time. (laughs) I remember driving my mum's car and uh, it came on the radio at the time. It said Ireland has entered the greatest economic recession in the history of the state. I remember just sitting in the car and does that you know the Jerry Cinnamon song where it goes what have you done, done? <laughs> that, was, that was me sitting in my mouth I don't what what the fuck have I done because I was having a great time in Australia I was about 24 I was having the crackers working on building sites bars, restaurants labour, and moving furniture whatever and uh, I was going to move to England. I was just going, there's nothing here for me. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's nothing for me in Ireland. Unemployment went up to about 14%, I think, at the time. People were getting gas taken off them. And uh, it was coming up to my birthday, and my mom found a comedy writing course that you could do in Doyle's. I think it was 300 quid. And she said, I'll give you 100 quid towards it. You can pay for the rest of yourself. Do something that you're interested in. Like, I'd only ever seen maybe four or five stand up shows live in my life. Um, I grew up watching like, Eddie Murphy, Raw, and Delirious. And they are yeah. gold,
0: by the way. They had a greatest stand-up Phenomenal. We've talked yeah. about it before, haven't we, on this? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And like, Do you know what's funny out there? Like, you say Eddie Murphy to people now, people like, The Nighty Professor. Donkey, yeah, I was pregnant. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, this was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. This is why like he was down. He was
1: only 22 in Delirious. It's mental 22 that, years man. of age. Yeah. And I remember watching Raw, because Delirious was really hard to get. Remember, you'd always get a copy of Raw. Raw would always be shown. But Delirious was like, I remember trying to even get a video or a DVD of Delirious. They were like, you know, it was impossible. I remember watching Raw with my uncle, who was about 11 years older than me, and just howling. And my mom came in and went absolutely mental. And she's like, what do you do letting him watch that? And yeah. that was kind of the the spark and uh, I saw my outfits as well. Ah, phenomenal! Yeah, oh, yeah I, I think he fresh. Like have, yeah, don't you have a glove on? Yeah, <laughs> like Michael he Jackson. Both. Yeah, like what's the leather budget?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> like fourteen song,
0: cows just to make that suit. Yeah, it's mad. I, I, you, like you listen to Eddie Murphy, and he's talking about bleeding fucking bitches and all. You're like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't no. fit now. Do you know what I mean? It like it doesn't, age, it
1: doesn't age well. Yeah, but like you
0: don't associate that kind of bravado with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. What
2: do you know what I mean because I wouldn't I'm not really into Blade and all that Shrek yeah. professional and all that I wouldn't have even seen any of them yeah. so what I know of Eddie Moppy would be them stand up shows yeah.
0: it's a bit like Ice Cube you know what I mean just yeah. gangster up and then he's acting on kids films yeah 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 and they're like what the fuck is going on there so now all everyone like when straight out of Compton came out they were like oh wait your man now with that kids film <laughs> he used to talk about Fuck the police and all. Do you know what I mean? So it's and, like, and, me and think about it.
1: as well moved into Beverly Hills Cop. That was alright for me. I thought that was good crack when I was a kid. I liked watching that. But then that's kind of for me where it stopped. And then I obviously saw him in Shrek and stuff as well. Yeah. Um. And then I, I just did this comedy workshop type thing for I think it was six weeks. And you had an option to do a stand-up set at the end of it. And I was back working at a pub on Lower Mound Street at the time and it was grim, lads. It was, I don't know if anyone remembers that time. It was just particular, there was no kind of hope and everyone was losing their jobs and yeah. I was lucky to even have work, you know what I mean? And I was working in this pub and old, like, alcoholic elf coming in every day and I was going, man, this is no way to live. I was 24, 25. Anyway, I did this set in Doyle's pub, which is where they have the Ruby sessions just down the road and, uh, I just loved it. Now, I couldn't watch that set back now if you paid me. I think I have yeah. it on a DVD somewhere. That was 2008, I think. Danny, and
2: you mentioned the comedy workshop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell me what a comedy workshop involved.
1: It was more, it was a comedy writing workshop. So you would do like comedy writing and it would touch on like comedy writing for film, for scripts, or if you know, you want to write something, a funny script or write a stand-up set or whatever. And I didn't know how else even to get into comedy. And all that six weeks was just for a seven-minute set and uh some of the people did the course didn't do a set they just wanted to learn how to write comedy do you
2: know what i mean and when, when did you know you wanted to do comedy
1: i i loved having the crack and kind of telling stories but moving from that into actually performing on a stage mm. totally different thing and like there's there was no comedy clubs in wicklow like there's <laughs> there's a few now do you know what i mean and there was no open mic nights or nothing like that and i remember going into the the inn before i did my first set and watching i think colin morrigan was actually hosting going. I don't know, how am I going to do this? Like, it was just, you know what I mean? I'd been to maybe three or four stand-up shows in my whole life, a couple of shows in Vicker Street, and that was it. And the first show was, it was great. I had loads of mates there. They are all messaging me, you know, the usual, like, oh, don't fuck it up. And I was there, having, I was having, like, proper panic attack outside Doyle's, like, brown paper bag, anxiety going, I can't do this. This is going to be a disaster. And I flew through the set because I was nervous. And then it just kind of went from there. Then I won a little Battle of the Axe type competition in the Haypenny Inn. Third gig, I died. Probably one of the worst deaths of my life. Like, died. Like, (laughs) six people in this scaldy hotel. And it was just like a hostage situation. I don't even think anyone knew there was a comedy gig. God, you know what I mean? And uh, they call it dying in comedy because that's exactly how it feels. (laughs) You know, it's just a death... And I nearly was like, oh, this isn't for me. I don't
2: want to do this anymore. Like, see that, see that. That's what. So, when I think about comedy, yeah, and I think about comedians and how they grew and do stand up, every comedian has a story of dying a death. Yeah. And that is just the biggest fear <laughs> in the world for me. Like, how he has managed to get through that and do another show after it. Is...
0: And they all say the first one is you the yeah, like yeah. first one's Garden hate to be sure So you're yeah. like Right well then why would I take the leap Into that if I yeah. know it's going to be bad yeah. it's,
1: it's like a form of self abuse Like, But I always think <laughs> about it Like you learn nothing from the good gigs Do you know what I mean yeah. It's like the anything. Like every time you tear a muscle a little bit It makes it a little bit better And that's all comedy is It's just repetition And there's no other way to get better other than just making mistakes, making mistakes, learning, making mistakes. And if we ever hear comics going, oh, I've never died. And I was like, well, yeah, then you've I never love. lived. Yeah. and you've This isn't for you because you have to die to get better, you know? And, I, uh, do, I
2: just don't, I can't. So see when that happens, yeah? Talk me through what you're thinking on the stage then. I, one
1: of the worst gigs I've had uh, in the last few months, I, the tour show I'm doing now, which is called Sweet Child O'Brien. I did that at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for 26 nights in a row. And... The first night I ran over because you don't know what way the show is going to go. and My mate Rick Molland was on after me, an English comic, right? And the first day I did the show, I ran over by 15 minutes. I was meant to do a 60-minute show, did 75 minutes. And he's at the back of the room going, wrap it up, you know, because he's on next or whatever. And the last show I did on the 26th day, so it got better and better and better and better. And the last day was just the biggest car crash, train wreck. The audience just hated it. They didn't want to be there. It was just miserable. And I remember like about 10 minutes in going, this is the worst. is <laughs> You have to just get through the hour. And I think I did about 50 minutes. So the first one was 75 and the last one was, was 50. Cool, short. And that's yeah. the difference between a show going well and you enjoying it and them enjoying it, or you're just getting through it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's talk. like a bad day. You just have to get through you it.
2: Probably shouldn't be talking about this on the lead of the our live show. Do you get me? But we don't have that pressure. That's what I always yeah. say. I feel like comedians have that more than any other profession. Like,
1: I, I think hold, I don't think there's much of a difference, to be honest with you, with podcasts or, or anything. All it is is holding a room. Yeah. All comedy is, all any kind of public speaking. I do loads of workshops in prisons and stuff like that, and it's just holding people's attention. Yeah. that's all you have to do it's how can I hold people's attention don't lose the room is, yeah. is the number one thing
0: I've done a few of them kind of public speaking things and one piece of advice they give you is you should open up with a joke Yeah. so then imagine the pressure on a comedian it's like yeah well that's what I'm fucking planning on doing
2: anyways <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but the whole thing has yeah. to be so yeah. go, oh,
0: yeah, and it's, it's mad
1: because it, we always talk about this myself Willa, John Cleary Carl Spain you mm. know before you get to the mic when you're doing comedy long enough you know before you've said your first word if it's going to go well or not. You just feel it. There's something about the atmosphere, the way people are looking at you, the tension in the room. If it's real chaotic and like, there's loads of people on the bag and they're all up getting around and moving and it's messy and people are drunk, you're like, this can be a disaster. You can feel
2: it. Like, oh, like I Spidey th- sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, That just makes me feel blessed with I love. So <laughs> yeah, like our, our crowd that I like, they're just mad. It's honestly like, I feel like they don't give a fuck what we do. Like how bad it is, how good it is. Cause yeah. they're just there for a good time. And it's like, they're all just proud of us. So no matter what happens, they know they're gonna have a good night. So I'm like, we're like in safe hands, you get me? But well, you're going out to random crowds <laughs> nearly, at times, like you could be opening up for somebody. Oh Maybe yeah, a yeah. Festival, like, oh, Or yeah. a festival and stuff
0: Festivals like are a
1: nightmare. Festivals look deadly on your social media. But the reality, it's the ultimate Instagram versus reality is like, <laughs> great show today at Electric Picnic. The reality is someone whacked out of it on MDMA riding on the floor in front of you. There's like a couple having a fight over there and it's just, yeah, it's chaos.
0: Yeah, I went to, this year in, in Picnic, I went to see uh, two sets as well. But it's good there because like it's boxed off. It's all carpeted as well. So you yeah. can go and just flake out for the oils, you know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. like it's, it's off the beaten track. So, unless you know someone's playing, that's like the only reason people are there. So, then again, it's probably a good enough crowd to get, you know what I mean? You're not going to get many randomers straggling in, locked yeah. or over, or whatever.
1: People who were there are there for it, and uh, I was on, was it the Sunday? And I went over, the Wolf Tones were on. Now, luckily, I was on Saturday, and whoever was on when the Wolf Tones was on, like the Wolf yeah. Tones tent was over there. I have never seen as many. It's the loudest scream I've ever heard in the tent. we there at it.
0: So Hannah Lang and the Wolf Towns were on at the exact same time. Hannah Lang was doing it a half an hour longer set. So we said, we'll go to the Wolf Towns for a half an hour. Yeah. Leave, and we'll still catch a decent set there. Because we were at a uh, different end of the yeah, main, yeah. main arena. We got to the Wolf Towns. We couldn't get near the tent. Yeah. We were about 15 people away from the actual entrance to the tent. Yeah. And then five minutes later, there was 30,000 people to me left so there's nothing like literally I was was in
1: the tent when they started and it got so packed I had to leave I was actually there was flares and all going
0: uh, on like Galatasaray matching the (laughs)
1: screams when they came on stage right was so loud that the two boys walked on stage with their fingers in their ears (laughs) and I was like I've never heard a roar like it at anything in any country at any festival anywhere in my life it was insane and there was
0: someone doing a comedy set at the exact same time. Yeah, one. just like from in an open-sided tent. Well, that was happening. Yeah, you sick with Yeah, you. man, there on the stage, smiling the crowd. <laughs> it was like I remember Fred Cook
1: went on years ago, and as uh, I think Carl Spain said, "Please welcome Fred Cook." And he heard this massive roar, and he went to go on stage, and it was actually Ozzy going on stage <laughs> at the exact same time, and he went down. And there was hardly anyone there. and He's like, Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, you mentioned John Clarkey there. I mean, I like, go, oh, I just need to give a shout out John yeah. Clarkey because you're. It was at Tommy Ternan's gig there recently, a couple of Tom months Fildery. ago was Tom Fowlery, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Calary opened up for him. He is genuinely sensational. Like, it was one An of novel. the best comedy sets I've ever seen. Like, it was... I can't... How, what was it like after? Like, so like, the, I can't the reason why I mean, we laughed at the Tom
0: Fowlery part is because... Taran's came back and he told me and one of the lads he's like best comedian I've ever seen I don't know his name so we were like trying to google who was opening for Tommy Taran and one of the lads goes I have it his name is Tom Fulery and we were like you <laughs> fucking idiot like you know what I mean and then we are like that's the name of the tour you take it and then we are like it's John Cleary mm. but, uh, he could use like Tom Fulery as, as a name
1: alias as yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> a
0: ball guy if he gets caught on the Lewis what's her name uh, Tom Fulery that's his you new boys or so <laughs> yeah basically but Terry was bleeding ranting about him since then when was that?
2: When, when was that? It was a couple of months ago anyway. It's kind of the start of the year, yeah, this, it wasn't it? He
1: just, did, I was on tour with him for his autumn tour. So he was on tour with Tommy for about 18 months. Fucking so it's been hell. since last year until about probably the spring of this year. Mm. Tommy
0: done a run in Vicar Street, mm. probably at the, before the summer. It was mm. near that, like the first half of the
1: summer. Yeah, oh, it was unbelievable. It's incredible. I, I was waiting for two months all over Ireland and I watched maybe six hours of the show, like, in different places, Belfast, Cork, Kilkenny. And you wouldn't even get a piece of paper between, the, you know, the jokes. It's just so consistent. And you can just see 20 years of stand-up in 90 minutes. And its he's phenomenal. Like, hes yeah. uh, he was great when I first started as well for, like, giving advice. And and Willow was the same, actually, like, kind of, like, mentors, you know what I mean? And if you are stressed out about gigs or you died in your arse and you're just trying to get over it, they're great lads to to talk to,
2: you know? Yeah, mm. definitely, yeah. So I mentioned as well, you, you mentioned actually about dying a death on the stage. How do you recover from that? How do you go to the next show then and hope that that doesn't happen again?
1: I usually find the car journey home. is like you just, I can't, you can't even, it's like I do school workshops as well. And like when you have a good workshop, they're great crack. And sometimes you'll have a mental school. And I, I did one in Finglas. Actually, you lads will enjoy this. It was an all boys school. Uh, I won't say the name of the school but uh, Aaron Conway went there and so did uh, so we're going to keep it a bit yeah 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 a bit (laughs) anonymous but uh, (laughs) the the crack out of those lads they were wild do you know what I mean you were saying your fans are wild it was that kind of mad thingless energy and there was, I think there was, <laughs> but, they're, but they're mental. Do you know what I mean? It's heated. Like, you know, you can feel the, you get into the classroom and you're like, it's like before final or something like that. You just feel that tension. And there was 30 TYs, all boys in the class. And they're all like, you know, loud load of them are throwing shaves. I'm not doing it. You know, the usual kind of crack. <laughs> <laughs> got, I got 29 of them out of 30 up onto the, microphone right so we get them up talking a little bit about themselves like you know what's your name where are you from have you got any pets who's your favorite football team
2: what's your favorite food it's basically an episode of the podcast. Yeah, yeah like
1: well you know favorite chicken fillet <laughs> roll that kind of thing just to get them talking a little bit about themselves you know what I mean just to make them a bit comfortable then you'll ask them the second half I always say tell us the funniest or most embarrassing thing and like somebody answers like, I can't even repeat on here because like we'll all go to jail do you know what I mean yeah. but, like the lads were gas and I remember getting 29 of them up and one of them just would not get up right, and he's sitting there, and he was just. Out. Did you ever hear someone like rolling their eyes from the other side of the room, just whatever? So eventually, we convinced him because all the other lads got up, and I could tell he didn't want to get up. That that's what it was all about. He was kind of putting up a bit of bravado. Oh, just shut it, I just show don't want to do this, but he was nervous because he didn't want to speak in front of the class. And he got up, in fairness to him, and he was like North Face head to toe, right? He was <laughs> wearing like the fingless ninja uniform, right? he' was like North Face everything. And he's just sitting vaping at the back of the class and everything, right? And I remember him walking through his own vape smoke like a John Woo film. Like and stars in the eyes. Yeah, exactly. And he gets up onto the microphone and uh, he goes, like, we ever struggle to say, tell us something funny or something embarrassing. And if you can't get a teenager to tell you either of those two things, I always say, tell me something you hate you'll always get someone, no matter where they're from, to tell you something that they hate. And he gets up on the mic and he's like, uh, he's like sighing the whole way up to the mic. And he gets up and he goes, oh yeah, we don't have anything funny or embarrassing to say, yeah? And I said, all right. And it got real awkward in the class. And then he goes, but, do you know the dust on jelly babies? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And he goes, I fucking hate that (laughs) and the whole class just erupted and that to me to this day is the most relatable thing that anyone has ever said on a microphone so to any more like 16 year olds out there from Finglas or wherever you're far more interesting than you think I go into prisons now and I tell prisoners about that young fella do you know what I mean? That's comedy. That to me is comedy. That is, that a, that's is, comedy. That is, is simple, cracker. relatable comedy, yeah. and it was brilliant. <laughs> the one who didn't want to get up on the mic ended up being the biggest legend of the whole workshop. And the, I, I actually talk about that in my new show. And there was a young flit in at the show. I don't get many kids to the show because it's stand up, stand up. But in Edinburgh, kind of end and goes and there was a young fella called Sam sitting up the front, and he was there with his mom, older brother, and his aunt. He was very shy, you know, like a young 12-year-old, you know what I mean? He looked about 10, he's all quiet. And I said, Sam, tell me something you hate, Uh, because he was kind of loving the show, but he was embarrassed because his mom was there. And I put him on the spot, and he got really awkward, and he goes, "I I don't know. I said, just tell me something you hate, like there's no big deal, and he goes... Too much Parmesan? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of life has this 12-year-old kid lived? You know what I mean? He's just getting chased around by Italian waiters his whole life. Like, I didn't even eat your baby bells till I was about 23. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god, it's actually a good idea though, isn't it? Like, because public speaking, <laughs> yeah, no one likes public speaking, Number especially when you're in a teenager. Yeah. Like, yeah, I wish we had a comedian because we, we were made to do ty and our skills, you know same. what I mean? And it was around that time, 08, 09 and we were the first year that got their fucking budget cut, you know what I mean? The year yeah, before us yeah. got brought away, every fucking You just decade. got a load of markers. Oh, we got nothing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? We got fuck all, we were like going to class. Like, you, know, TY, you don't go to class because yeah, you're in the yeah. skill by like an hour, then you go off for of the day and do something. We actually had to do skill work because there's nothing else for us to do. Uh, so I remember sitting in mats and being like, me, it's a transition yeah What the fuck are we doing maths for? I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. But like I wish we had a girl, a comedian in, Do you know, what I mean that would have been some crack and like teaching people just how to speak because yeah. we we don't like the only public speaking I've ever been taught was in college and they teach it like little things, how to present yourself, body language. Do you know, if you're trying to reason with people, you put your hands open upwards. and yeah. if you're trying to deliver something, you put your hands facing down. And I was like, things like that. And that's like, they're key things in life to know. 100%. If, if the, like those basic things, that's why we do them. But I wish someone had taught me
1: that. The three things I wish people taught me when I was in school or transition year was how to do your taxes, right? Mm. Or like bank account stuff. Learn how to drive or the basic kind of even yeah. do your theory test and minimum public speaking. Yeah. Just give me the, exactly what you said there. Those tips about body language and stuff. Like I've just done six weeks in a, in Midlands Prison with, uh, with Willie and a couple other comics. John Not Cleary as well. You want to refresh? Oh,
2: yeah, that? let me refresh. that. <laughs> 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 I
1: have just been facilitating uh, <laughs> workshops in, uh, in Midlands Prison <laughs> for six weeks. Yeah, we Because the that... crew
0: sounded
2: right <laughs> as well.
1: Just been banged up for six weeks <laughs> for the joke that went horribly wrong. <laughs> but... Uh, Yeah, and like those basic fundamentals are so important. And I remember I was doing a workshop just a long, uh, maybe five years ago in Wheatfield with John And I remember a prisoner in there saying to me, I don't want to get out. A lot of them are dreading getting out because they don't know how to function in society completely. Like, And I remember this fella going, "Uh, I've got a wedding to go to. I think it was his sister's wedding or something. And he goes, I'm dreading it. Because if someone asks me what I've been doing, I don't want to say I've been, you know, I was addicted to drugs and I've been banged up as a result of it. I don't know what to say to people and it's just kind of teaching people how to be themselves and drop the stigma and I'm working on a documentary at the moment that surrounds addiction. So I used to work in uh, social care and the homeless services and addiction services around Dublin and that, kind of work is now linking into the prison work that I do that's kind of mixed with stand-up and it's it's like what you're saying with college you didn't realize how beneficial that stuff was and now you're doing live podcasts, thousands of people Mm. and those basic things that you learned are instrumental now to the success of this do you know what I
2: mean Mm. You mentioned, obviously, that you're working in addiction services and stuff like that. I didn't know this about you. So what was that like? How did you get into that then?
1: I used to be a youth worker um, when I first started comedy. So I was asked to do like these kind of comedy drama workshops. I didn't really know what I was doing like. I had no idea. Just kind of like all of us, I just kind of winged it. And I liked working in the youth service. I used to work in Finglas in uh, it was a place called The Den. And then I started volunteering and then I went to college at night and I studied like youth justice and addiction. And I think I worked in youth work for about four years. So I worked all around Rafarn and Finglas. And then I was doing comedy at the same time. So I double jobbed for years like all of us do. You know what I mean? Like Cleary worked on building sites. Willie still does scaffolding. you know what I mean? Because you don't make any money in comedy when you first start. And I loved it because I liked working with people. Do you know what I mean? I liked having the crack. And even if the groups were being an absolute melt, that to me was still better than sitting behind a screen typing into a spreadsheet i just can't do that like yeah. you know what i mean and then i went to work i was doing residential care which was really hectic where you would do a 24-hour shift with really really troubled young people and i found it really difficult to like mentally like and i found it really hard to do that and then do comedy at night you know what i mean mm. weirdly they both kind of complement each other and then I got offered a job working in the homeless and addiction services and the interview was kind of an accident. I was interviewed for the wrong position is the (laughs) truth only in Ireland. Because in the interview, I was actually looking to do more residential work. So I was busier with comedy. So I wanted to do more hours and, you know, just do one or two big shifts a week and then gig the rest of the week. And I remember the woman in the interview goes, so why did you want to work in the adult homeless and addiction services? And I'm like, I didn't fucking apply for this <laughs> job. There was some kind of miscommunication or something like that. And I just winged it and I was like, oh, I just wanted a challenge. And I was like, that was a weird disaster of an interview. And then the following Monday, they're like, offer me a position. And I ended up working in a it supported temporary accommodation. So it was about 60 clients. So it'd be roughly 40 male, 20 female, depending on the, on the demographic in the day. And then you'd have like four emergency beds, which is for people who are on the street that would stay there for one night only type thing. And it was a massive eye opener into the world of homelessness and addiction in Ireland. So that's why I'm really interested in it. And I like working in the prisons because I have an insight to what it's like for people who are living through it like and if you come out of prison in Ireland you go into the services like it's no life Mm. it's no life and I say that to all the prisoners I work with I'm like lads you don't want to be going back into that world because you just back into addiction back into prison back into addiction back into prison it's just this endless cycle and it hurts everybody and nothing gets fixed you know
0: Mm. it's mental then how you're able to do something so serious so demanding something that requires you to give so much and then you go in the night time just make people laugh
1: do you know what I found? I couldn't even tell my ma or anything, like, what was going on at work. Like, we had a lot of deaths service. Like, I found a fella hanging. He didn't die, thank God. Uh But literally went into a room, had to lift the fella up off, like, from hanging. And I put him on the bed. And, like, no one tells you in training, like, what do you say to someone who's just tried to end their life like that? Like, I'd witnessed self-harm and overdoses and stuff, you know what I mean? And as tough as that was, there's something... There was something very difficult about seeing someone hanging by their neck that they've done to themselves, do you know what I mean? It's a different thing. And uh, he sat in the bed and he just goes, I've no friends, I've no family, and I've nothing to live for. And I remember just saying to him, well, I think you're sound and I want to help you. And sometimes that's all people want to hear, do you know what I mean? Mm. Just that basic, that someone gives a fuck and that can be enough to kind of help them out of it. And, you know, even Willa talked about this on this podcast with his own addiction. Uh, Like, my own father was on heroin. He got hepatitis at a really young age and wasn't in my life or anything like that, you know, as a result of it. But I think sometimes people just need that one step. Like, it's very easy for us to walk through Dublin City Centre and just go, oh, yeah, look at him. There's a junkie and the aggressive begging pisses people off, which I totally understand. I have a comedy club in town. I see it every single night. But no one chooses to be like that. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. No one, no one wakes up on it. All comes from trauma, like their mm. heroin and and tablets and whatever they use is just blocking out something that's not being dealt with, you know. Mm. And I think comedy is a good way of getting that out, of people.
0: Yeah, and do you think that the comedy is your escape then from all that?
1: hundred percent. I remember, uh, when, I remember when I found that fellow in work, my manager sent me home, and I was like, Nah, nah, I'll like I'll stay. And he's like, Nah, you can't be, you can't be in work after that, you know. Blah blah blah. I take a couple of days off. And I remember gigging that night and. It was weird because you'd hear comedians moaning in the green rooms going, oh, this bit didn't work or that booker didn't book me or I didn't get this festival or I got a shite review. And I'd be like, I never would say it. And I was like, I found someone dead in work today. Do you get what I mean? And But it, it kept me very grounded, I have to say. And it, it makes me really appreciate being able to gig for a living because when COVID struck, I was like, I'm going to have to go back to work in, in the addiction services. Like I had a whole year's worth of gigs gone, touring New Zealand, gone, Edinburgh, everything gone. And now, luckily, I started doing outdoor shows and did loads of virtual shows. I set up an event company and uh, I did a TV show in the Flats and Rings End, which was called the Lockdown Comedy Special, where we filmed a TV special in a block of flats in O'Reilly House. And that got me out of, you know, out of Covid, I suppose, and kept me working. But other than that, I probably would have been going back working in the services. But I never will take comedy for granted or you know doing anything like this even being on a podcast with yourselves or being on telly or on the radio or whatever it may be because when i worked in the addiction services or anyone who works in those services or nurses or anything like that like they deserve a lot more credit than i think they that then mm. they get you know and i think they deserve a lot more pay than they get because it's it's the work that no one else wants to do
2: yeah 100 percent. like it it's like you mentioned doing the death on the stage earlier on, and like, I'm like, well, how the fuck do you grow over that? And you're like, well, it's just a fucking comedy set. Really. Yeah, yeah. When you're seeing the shit that you're seeing and doing the work that you were doing for so long, doing the death on the stage in front of a few people to you is not really yeah. that big of a deal. Like it it's,
1: it's still hurts, and you know, of like. Course, like And you know the phrase that we always you, use no one died. I think if it, <laughs> that's, but that's but that's, <laughs> that's, but that's I yeah, that,
2: yeah. Yeah. you say that yeah, that
0: well, even no, players, no. That clearly says it so <laughs> yeah. like the biggest thing that about our live show So shows, frustrating
2: I, for me though yeah. I
0: know we've spent a lot of this <laughs> podcast talking about live show but it's live show week so we have to jitters mm. yeah but, of course Anyone who listens And anyone who's been to the live show Will know Terence is a nervous wreck Terence is like We need to get Terence on the stage We need to bring him
1: out Sea swimming With the Dublin dippers I'm going to teach him Some box breathing exercises <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> no.
0: Once we get 30 on the stage Everything else out That's a bonus But like so he's nervous about everything. I'm nervous if the guest doesn't show up. So I'm happy once we get to the venue and all the guests who are supposed yeah, to be there are there. 100%. I'm like, right, what Grant, We have a show, right? And then we're nervous, we're nervous. And Darren clearly will say to us, like, how do you think that went? And we're like, oh that went on too long or this person said this or that person in the crowd was heckling and reckless we couldn't sort it out and then he'd say but no one did and we're like no Darden, you can't say that you can't <laughs> yeah. say that because we were up on the stage and we experienced this yeah. and then we have to deal with this and blah 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 and we're not satisfied and he'd be like but nobody did and I'm like "Darden, that can't be the measurement of but success anymore every time something shy happens and there's not a
1: gig that I have done anywhere in the world where something hasn't happened in some capacity the live gigs it is unavoidable yeah. There's going to be, I, I was a uh, with a fella in Australia years ago and uh, a woman starts spraying perfume all over herself. <laughs> in the front row and like wrecking his punchline do you know what I mean like S-s-s-s. and he blew up and he's like what are you doing and started having this massive go at her right? and it got real awkward turns out she was having an asthma attack. Fucking hell. and he like lit up on
0: her fucking hell
1: <laughs> and like I've, I've done that I've given out to people or you know you're like taking the piss out of someone because it's a bit of a rowdy crowd and then you find out like something awful
0: happened to them that day you're, like
2: oh like, sorry about that yeah champ <laughs> Pashart was telling us Story. Remember, you needed everyone to stand up, and your man was blind. My oh, man, <laughs> wow, what was that one again? No, was it not
0: a blind, fella? What happened? Short, and then the Robbie. Oh, Williams you know, Williams, Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. Ever heard that one about Robbie Williams? <laughs> no. He was doing a concert somewhere in a. It was a big arena. And he's like, for this song, can I get everyone to stand up, please? And he said, there was a section in the crowd that didn't stand up. And he goes, Right, everyone in the crowd, point over and build is probably corporate cunts. Oh, did, got the tickets for free. The yeah, you don't wanna, they don't want to join in with the rest of us. Can we all build them? And he found out it was the wheelchair section. And you're just like, Right. <laughs> I, I'm surprised he still has a career after that. I
2: <laughs> that what was Pass Short's
0: one? Pass Short was your man, not blind, with Pass Short. And he was in the crowd and he didn't see he had his cane at his feet or something like that. I can't
2: remember what that
0: one was. Yeah. Pat Short had a similar story like that where he had to go at somebody and <laughs> he had a disability. But I think if someone died at one of your shows, it's that notoriety thing. You'd be like, look, yeah. if you come to one of our gigs, your life expectancy drops. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You'd be like, oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? We'd, uh, I was doing a show years ago called The Best of the Edinburgh Fest and it was in Australia and it was myself, a Scottish comic and an English comic. And Scottish Sounds like a start of a bad joke, doesn't it? Paddy
0: Irishman, Paddy Scottishman, Paddy Paddy Englishman.
1: (laughs) I I did did a show in Edinburgh this year called Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman, and it sold out the run. Me and two of the lads said, Why don't we just do a show called Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman? And we did it, and the whole thing sold out because people just wanted to see a show. Because if you, statistically speaking, you're going to like the comedy of one of us. (laughs) Yeah, good chance. If if you're not liking one of us, you're done. But he did a show in Australia. My mate is uh he's missing the tips of two of his fingers and he does loads of stand-up about it, right? And we we're in this tent in Adelaide and he holds up his hand and he goes, It's not a magic trick, and he's got loads of jokes about not having any tips of his fingers but a woman sitting up the front and a real weak stomach and she, went, and she passed out from Bullshit. him missing fingers and then because it was a festival in australia we had to get security in they had to get the paramedics in we had to stop the show so we had this real awkward like half an hour where she's trying to get resuscitated and everyone's just sitting around and he's just there awkwardly with his fingers on stage.
2: so what happened to the tips of his fingers
1: he had an accident as a kid and it crushed them and he lost the tips of them yeah and that's part of the job, is it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> them getting there before you, so I'm, I'm making fun of it before you can. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah. Like when you're pissed to bed, you better have to ring ringing everyone and tell them that you're pissed to Absolutely. bed. Absolutely. So no one else can like say, how are you pissed to bed? Like, yeah, I know, I'm telling you I pissed to bed. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that whole thing of nobody died. Where were we there? We went off on a mad run about just people dying at festivals. Yeah, yeah. where
2: were we before that, boys? You,
0: you were boy. doing workshops in prisons. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. You were. I was chatting here before Terry came in. So you were doing a lot of work down the Midlands. Yeah, so we're doing, I
1: did like six weeks of prison workshops in there. And um, I've done a lot of prison work actually with, with John Cleary and uh, with, with Willie. And uh, it's a strange environment. And then because I worked in social care and stuff, I kind of was used to it to a certain degree. But it was mad. Like the difference between the group that we were working with from the start to the finish was like, they wouldn't even say two words, you know what I mean? Just stuck in a kind of cycle of addiction and criminality and just no hope and just, and then seeing them getting up and kind of talking a little bit about themselves and where they want to be when they get out and just trying to help people, even if one of them doesn't re-offend it's worth it Do you get what i mean like yeah. just just one of them because it's just this endless cycle and we have a bit of crack and like i just think everyone wants to be just treated like human beings like i treat people in prison the same way i treat teenagers and fingless, or from doing corporates it doesn't matter i treat everyone the exact same way obviously you can swear a little bit more in the school in fingless or in the, or in the yeah. prison than at a corporate but i think everyone just wants to be spoken to and just go how's it going what's the crack you all right exactly you want to feel human the exact same way you lads welcome to me that's the only way you have to be but if you're weird with people prisoners or anyone and you're rigid or it's a corporate gig and you're like oh god oh, oh, hello and you just can't be like that you have to just be yourself and go hey how's it going and you know obviously be professional and do your work properly but have a laugh and enjoy it like we only get one go around the clock i don't think we need to be too serious about everything and just I think everyone needs to just enjoy themselves and particularly in the corporate world and people are afraid now of everything. They're like, I remember doing this virtual show during the pandemic and it was one of the most insane things I've ever done in my life. And they're like, we want you to host this Christmas party event, but you're not allowed to use the word Christmas because it's offensive to people that don't celebrate it. And I'm like, then just don't do it. Just don't do it. This is murder. Then they said, actually, we don't want you to do any jokes at all because it could upset someone. So I basically had to just give out prizes, right? And then they said, we can't call them prizes anymore because we the prizes will make people who didn't get the prizes feel bad that they didn't win them. So we're going to call the prizes celebrations. That is a
2: legitimate thing. Like that to me is Isn't just, it? Like I actually don't even find that funny. No like that is I can't work in that environment like I would happily work I drive all over the
1: country I will gig in I'll go to Azerbaijan and I'll do a gig I'll do I did gigs in Mexico I did gigs in Guatemala I've done gigs in countries that there's never been English speaking comedy and I was the only person the only white Irish person ever and I will do that and I'll get a boat there if I have to before I'll work somewhere that have to call a prize a celebration
2: (laughs) Like I think people just want to be offended yeah, nowadays. Do you know what now. I mean? Like that, yeah, carrying on a little bit. Yeah, at that stage, you know what I mean. Because there's a lot of stuff that nowadays that's coming out, and I'm like, that actually makes sense. And yeah, absolutely. that makes sense to not use that term, yeah, or to not do, but that there is just. <sighs> but you're putting so
1: much energy into worrying about upsetting people. How are you even going to do your work? Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? You're putting more energy into making sure like everyone's going to be okay than just actually doing the work. It's like, I find that in Ireland as well. We're amazing procrastinators of here's 101 reasons why I can't do that thing. Whereas if you just did the thing, it would be done 10 minutes ago and you can move on with your life. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? We've got an amazing skill in Ireland where we can spend eight hours like getting around just doing a simple thing. So it's you're like, here, Danny, can you move that glass? No you go, there you go. Or else I can sit here for an hour and tell you why I shouldn't have to.
0: Yeah, so you said that you were doing the workshop down in Port Leash, which is home yearly. It's the most secure prison in Europe. Yeah, because it, it, was,
1: it was built when the IRA were kicking off and the, it's mad. Like, there's all these, like, different wings and stuff like that. And it's properly like, one door doesn't open until the other one closes type thing. Not as, you know, that sounds like a real, <laughs> like, metaphor for life, but that's legitimately, you can't get in there until the door closes. It's like a spaceship. Um, and it's a strange environment to be in, do you know what I mean? And, like, it's weird because we made this TV show during the pandemic, and I, done, I did a show in 2018 called Lock In because I did shows in Mountjoy, Wheatfield, and Midlands. And I did a show about doing the gigs in the prisons. And when we started doing the outdoor shows during the pandemic, in all like O'Reilly House and then um, George Reynolds Flats and all that around Ringsend and Irish Town, I saw and met some of the prisoners that I had. Met like a couple of years previous, so I am and I'm gigging them, like, "All right, you got out in the end." And he goes, "Technicality!" <laughs> and he's, like up in the balcony, just up there with a load of budgies and cans having to crack. Like.
0: <laughs> what was it like in the flats? Must have been some Crackdown gigs down there, was it? Yeah, it's a weird environment. Like, so they're like, "Who is
1: this?" half dublin half wicklow sham coming Just down yeah. yeah and i was looking after my neighbor's dog at the time my neighbor had cystic fibrosis so she couldn't leave the house because of covid and i kind of inherited this little mini doberman called pony who i kind of had for about a year so i brought pony down to the flats and she looked like jar jar binks Loved that dog and i remember going down to a rattly house and i was meeting a fella called keith o'brien who's now a good friend of mine and I thought the O'Brien thing at do you least know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the O'Brien thing yeah, will yeah, get you so far, no matter what happens. And I went down to meet Keith anyway, and he's not actually from the flats, his, his missus is, so he's a kind of a bit of a blow-in. So I went in with the dog and it was peak COVID, like it was around May twenty twenty, and there's L ones leaning over the balcony. They then like the young fellas think you're a guard, the L ones think you're a a TV licence inspector. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I I dressed a bit like not shady, but like I'm not a cop. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, didn't want to be like an undercover guard. You know, going down with a breakfast roll, like, "How are you lads?" Any hash? <laughs> and, uh, like, do you know what? An undercover guard at a festival in Ireland looks more of a guard than a guard in a guard of uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it? You you uh, anyone got any e-baggers? Any yokes? yorks? Oh, ridiculous, <laughs> man! It's like pandemonium. But uh, I remember someone had written "Happy Birthday, Nanny" with chalk. Did you ever see that in the flats? And they'd write "Happy Birthday" messages. And the dog pissed all over it. And I I remember picking up the dog and piss all over me. And she's like, you're after pissing out of my granddaughter did that. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) And then I met Keith. And he was doing a thing where he was climbing the height of Mount Everest for charity by going up and down down the the stairs. I remember remember that, that,
0: yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the steps, the the stairs and the flats. Yeah they Had to run up and down them so many yeah. times, it was equivalent to Mount o- Everest just over the course of a week. You know,
2: yeah, so how many times?
0: Oh, no, thousands. thousands. Yeah, thousands. There was a good few people yeah. doing it though. Yeah, I remember that. Remember, rings and flats were like the center for anything yeah. that was happening. All the videos went viral of just rings and flats. Yeah, everything they'd done just went. They yeah. were like the force to do the bingo.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Derek Buckley, who's, who's now the Lord Mayor, I think that's what got him his Lord Mayor Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, they were doing like Britain's Got Talent thing yeah. on, on the pram sheds. Yeah. yeah. But they were using that as the stage. I don't remember that, all this. No, what, yeah. it's, that's, that's how we Everything started. they done just went viral.
1: He, like, said, no we, what. he said, Will you come down and do a few gigs? And uh, I remember we got paid in because it was for a community, we weren't getting any money for it. We said, Yeah, we'll do it. Like, I was just delighted because I was just doing Zoom gigs. I was just delighted to be getting out. I couldn't give a shite where it was. I was like, just get me out and get me gigging. I remember we got like a 25 euro Domino's voucher. And going, I've been doing comedy for like 12 years of my life at this stage. I was like, oh, I've got to show for It's a 25 Domino's voucher. And I was delighted. It wasn't actually even Domino's, it was four star. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we did the gigs. And then I met Keith O'Brien. He's like, will you do some outdoor gigs? Then we did them. And then we ended up, doing a TV show where we filmed an outdoor comedy special. It's on YouTube and it's on the Virgin Media Player as well. But it was two a block of flats. There's probably about maybe 200 people all in. So it was people up in the balconies. There's people on deck chairs in front of us. And one of the best, best things I've ever done. And before the gig started, the production company was all last minute. Like this all happened last minute. A fella called Barry messaged me on Facebook. Oh, if you want to and film, let me know. Then all these things happened. I'm like, well, actually we do need someone. Can you come in tomorrow? So we filmed everything, no budget. We did the whole thing last minute, 24 hours notice from start to finish editing, all that crack. And, uh, I remember before we started the TV show, a police helicopter went over and I think they've drone footage of it was perfect. It was like the wire and all the residents are cheering. They're like,
0: yup. <laughs> like, <yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we did the gig Myself and another comedian and a mate of ours sang at the end and was mad. Like we did an hour of stand-up outdoors, weather held up, it was deadly. All about the people in the flats. Made like celebrities of the people in the flats. They're still one of the lads was dancing before. He was on the T V ad. He's now called the Dancing Granda. There was another fellow I took the piss out of called uh, John Dooley, who had the biggest vape I have ever seen to this day. Right. I don't don't know where. Man, it was like a robot's arm. Right. (laughs) And I was like, who is this? I was like, who's this fellow? He's like, he's like a third pool bag chimney. Right. (laughs) 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 And he became like the vape lord. So all the people, the the residents made the show. Do you know what I mean? It was more about them. But after the gig, there was a bit of a party right and everyone was socially distancing but you know what i mean like we all did our best but it was summertime it was outdoors the lads had like vats of cocktails and hawaiian shirts and you'll never get looked after anywhere like the flats in dublin if they befriend you right And there was about, I'd say, 100 people kind of having a few drinks and music playing and all that. And it got late, got to about 2am and they called the guards. Someone in the flats wasn't happy. And then they're looking up going, who's the rat? Who's the ra?" You just see lights and windows going out. You know, everyone was a suspect. It was like battleships or something. Every time you'd look at a window, a light would switch off. (laughs) It was mental. And they sent in the guards, basically, to tell us to go to bed. I only lived down the road, so it was grand. And they sent in five of the smallest guards in Ireland. I've ever seen. I think they just got them straight out of training. Because you know way we got rid of the height restriction? So these were like micro guards. And then they, they changed the uniforms. Remember when they changed yeah, the uniforms? Yeah, they got the new so, uniform, Yeah, they yeah. all look like they are working little at the weekend, right? <laughs> <laughs> they wear like the, the Star Trek Wish uniform, right? And five of them come in and there was me, the production company, a few of the lads, and they went up to the worst group you could ever go up to in Dublin to tell them to go to bed. It was the L ones from O'Rahley House the hardcore grannies of O'Reilly House, they're all sitting around the table drinking gin out of a bottle, right, just having the crack. They didn't care about COVID. Do you know what I mean? Like They've all had like loads of grandkids and all. Like they, The least of their worries is COVID. They've like 80 Rotmans a day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no one's getting through that. And uh, I remember the guards were real nervous walking towards them because they're all like, in their 80s and they get to within, say, two metres of them and the eldest leader turns around to the five guards and she just goes, Ah, Jesus, look... Look at them girls, the strippers are here. (laughs) The cards are just mortified and they all just walked out of a rally house. Everyone was cheering like Braveheart was (laughs) class. I was like, I love the flats, I'm
2: moving here. I like that. I like the way you give that side of it <laughs> of explaining what the community spirit is like. In the yeah. flats. That's what we do all the time. We're obviously from Flats ourselves, yeah, you know? yeah. So we're always at that. But I think you explained it very well. They are like, although it was fucking COVID times and whatever though, but explaining that community spirit in the flats is like it's unmatched.
1: It is, it's a daily energy, and uh, there's a brilliant documentary that I watched actually. I think it's called Pajama Ladies or Pajama Girls, and it's about why teenage girls wear pajamas in the flats. And the documentary blew my mind, like, because it's like the reason that they wear pyjamas is everyone takes a piss and oh, they're wearing pyjamas to spar or whatever. <laughs> but they treat the whole of the flats as their gaff. So walking into another person's flat isn't a big deal. So wearing your pyjamas, like, you know, if you were going from your room into, you know, the sitting room or your ma's room to talk to someone,
0: you wouldn't change your clothes. Mm. So that's the kind of the mentality. thinking behind yeah. the pyjamas, like, you know. Yeah. In fairness, it would be the same. Like, if you threw flip-flops on a pair of shorts on, you'd say, I'm only going to the shop. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, what's the big deal? So, yeah, there yeah, is that mentality. Yeah. Like, I wore shorts all day yesterday, and everyone's like, it's the middle of November. I was like, where am I going? <laughs> Mind your business. My gaff, to my ma's Do you know what I mean? What's the big deal? So, yeah, I I can see the the logic behind that. You're doing your own documentary.
1: I am. I'm working on one at the moment, kind of around addiction, all the stuff that's happened over the last couple of years. So The addiction service work, the prison work, kind of working in the flats as well, to a certain extent. Um, And I want to make a documentary kind of highlighting addiction, but the actual side of addiction, not a kind of, I don't know what way you want to describe it, not the view that everyone else has. I want to kind of actually meet people and discuss how they got to where they are. Do you know what I mean? Because everything everything kind of comes from trauma and I'm not making excuses for anybody because there's plenty of people who became addicts who didn't have a traumatic upbringing and vice versa and whatnot. And you know, I think it all comes down to personal responsibility, but I think it's very easy for people in Ireland to just go junkie, look at them, you know, fuck them, whatever it may be. And I'm not making excuses, but I do think everyone has a backstory and I don't think anyone chose that life. And I want to try and, I'm not making, an excuse I just want to find out how people got to where they are and then let people who watch it make their own mind up yeah. I just want people to understand this is their story and that's how they got to there. The human uh, well, I don't just,
2: even believe that people believe that it's choice. You, you see that, you see that she'll become it all the time to people that are in addiction and you see people say, well, it was their choice to pick her up and it's their choice to put no. it down like as if it's actually just choice. Like, Absolutely like someone's not. after going on heroin and <laughs> just choosing to not be on heroin. Like you ask anybody in active addiction, do they want to be there? They'll all say no, but that they're now. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and like, you know, like especially with heroin in particular, all heroin does is blocks out pain. And if you've had, you know, an abusive childhood and you've had like sexual abuse, physical abuse, your parents could have been addicts. If your options in life are, remember all of that and live it every single minute of every single day or smoke this and forget about all of it temporarily, we would all do that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's take the blue pill. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I understand why people choose that. It's just the detrimental effect that addiction then has. And I just, I I like that work. I'm going to continue in that work no matter, you know, how long I'm doing stand-up. I'll always have my my hand in addiction in some shape or form because it's personal to me. I don't think there's a single person in Ireland who isn't affected by addiction. Um, I talk about it a little bit in the school workshops. I talk about it in the prisons. And uh, I just think we need to talk about it. And like alcohol as well is the number one. It's the most Mm. destructive part of our culture. The most destructive part and we all just laugh it off asher ah, sure, is the a great crack like i'm doing 100 days of sobriety at the moment and uh, i've lost a few friends over the last few years due to like alcohol suicide accidental overdoses and uh, a lot of my mates willie john cleary carl tea teetotalers and i was in canada doing gigs and i felt like shite and i was just going i don't have the recovery time anymore like once you go over 30 you don't have the recovery time you know you're having a mental breakdown even at thoughts of sending an email so since september to christmas day i'm doing 100 days of sobriety and i'm 9 weeks into it now and i've got 4 to go and it's the best thing i've ever done in my life yeah i've got hundreds of messages from people on all different platforms i put up a video every sunday going this is the crack this is what i've done and i'm not judging anyone for booze and i'm going to ha- 100% have a drink on christmas day but my relationship with alcohol has completely changed. My DNA with alcohol has changed, and if I do drink now, it'll be a handful of times a
0: year. This thing of points after everything is is done for me. Yeah, mm. and yeah. it's mad. Like it's just associated with Irish people. Yeah, I hate when you know you meet someone from abroad and you tell me you don't drink. Like, are you even Irish? And you're like, yeah, me. Hey, grow up, like, yeah. It's twenty twenty three. There's more, and like we've so
1: much more to offer as well. Yeah, do you know what I mean? We've so much more to offer as a country. We've got some of the best musicians, writers, performers. You know we're culturally rich Like Americans are obsessed with us mm. Americans come here In their millions every year They're all like I'm here to find my roots and That's gas cause we can't even find Our fucking car keys Like
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Danny So you said that The addiction stuff Is personal to you Obviously what happened In your family Is that really what motivates you to go into
1: Yeah, a little bit, I think, and uh, I I like working with people, I think same as yourselves, you know what I mean, and like, that's why I love like even doing the sea swimming and stuff in the last couple of years, I love the crack of meeting new people, and it's the same reason that I love gigging abroad, or I love going to a different country, and I love meeting strangers who are a good crack, and just having a bit of an experience with them, and like, I, I think everyone's kind of got a story as well, and like, especially around addiction, like uh, people particularly in in prison and in addiction service have a lot of humility. They've lived a serious life. Mm. You're not having like I'm more of a dog person. I'm more of a cat person conversation like they're real motherfuckers. Do you know what I mean? And they're telling you about their life. And I just find that really, really interesting and I like if all the stuff that I've done over the last few years I don't want to waste that experience and if I can incorporate comedy into workshops and benefit someone's life and
0: have a bit of crack while I'm doing it I think it's great Yeah and I, I know you said at the start but it does really complement and I like you have to fucking like one of the hardest jobs in the world and I know we say comedy is one of the hardest jobs in the world but like realistically you're talking about dying on stage so people are actually dying in your day to day life Yeah that's you're it in your like, job and then you're going from that to comedy where people think like this doesn't even fucking matter. Yeah. I mean, this, this is not yeah. real. Like, but then they do complement each other because one is like so fucking hard hitting and then one is like, it's electric, it's yeah. buzzing. We're all here for a good time. Kind of crack. But, but both are a release from each other though. Yeah. Because the, the addiction stuff makes you glad at the gig
1: like if you have a really tough workshop and you have a great gig you forget about the tough workshop yeah. if you have a really shy gig and you have a good workshop and you're working with someone and you've helped their life you're like fuck the gig yeah
0: exactly yeah. Yeah. so they complement each other to go hand yeah. in hand together. get but then as you said as well you have to create this whole fucking environment where you're able to incorporate them all and now you teach them like workshops to like prisoners and students and stuff like yeah. that so in a way they compliment each other but then they're complimenting life they're teaching you how to be more confident in yourself how to articulate yourself how to speak to people and then that could have a domino effect or a butterfly effect yeah and stop you because like, you're able to tell someone how you feel you don't have to get down the addiction and I,
1: I'm learning like every time I do a workshop I get better you know what I mean? Like I'm. Uh, there's no finishing. No, there's no definitive way to do a workshop like that. That prison workshop series was the hardest learning curve. I went from the the Edinburgh Fringe straight to Electric Picnic, straight to Canada. Nearly had a mental breakdown from exhaustion. Like that's when I give up the booze as well. was like I cannot work at this rate anymore. Something's gonna give. My like I got back from Canada on Monday and I was in Midlands Prison on Tuesday morning, and that first workshop was the most. I wasn't there. I was just going. And I remember going to myself, <gasps> I need to be there for my colleagues. I need to be present and able to do this. And then the next one, I was much more prepared and ready. And I slept and I'm like, I can't do workshops all day, gig every single night. I was on tour with Caleri as well. So I was gigging in Cork. I was gigging in a different part of Ireland every night. Mm. You can work at that level. But if you throw booze into the mix, forget it. Yeah. You can't. You cannot. I don't care what anyone says. And they're like, oh, you have a few points. I can't. If you
0: can, fairful play to you, but I definitely can't. Yeah, I'm Too old. Uh, and then as well, so me and Danny had a good chat before you got here. <laughs> yeah, climbing Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I think the only way people leave you alone with booze, a good mate of mine, Rory O'Hanlon, he gave up the drink about 15 years ago. And he's like, people wouldn't leave him alone. And he's like, I'm doing the fucking marathon. He said, it's the only way people leave you alone. And for me, I said, Right, I want to do Kilimanjaro. So I'm climbing Kilimanjaro in July. So this year's show is called uh, Sweet Child O'Brien. Next year's show is called Kilimanjaro. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm heavy with the puns. I'm not going to do a pun show after that. So, I've signed up, it's paid for, it. I have to do it. My mm. uncle's threatening to do it with me. And uh, I just think it'd be a deadly thing to do. And I'd much rather spend my money doing something like that. I'm gonna try and raise the same amount of money that it cost for me to do it for um, a suicide charity that I work with. So I'm gonna raise a bit of money, do a couple of gigs for that as well, and Mm. then get a bit of motion behind that charity. Yeah, Yeah. that's quality now.
0: You actually have to climb Kilimanjaro though, don't you? Yeah. You you don't just walk up the hill. No. (laughs) It's not like the sugar loaf. No, sugar loaf. You know what? It's
1: funny. It's the equivalent of 12 sugar loaves. But actually climbing. Yeah, but you do it over stages, but it's like, like just it
0: me and actually climb. Terry, what was the name of that place that we done at the start of the year? Remember, and I was and I was like, oh, we we climbed that. I was like, we didn't. We just walked up the hill. What? Now it was tough, but like yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't crop bad no, was it? No, no, one of them in Wicklow. <laughs> Jouse. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah. Now it was steep and yeah, yeah. out of breath, but it was early in January and we had to go Christmas. Yeah. So we'd be, we'd be forgiven of for it. Turkey yeah. gravy. All <laughs> of us were in a jocka. And do you know how stubborn we were then? Yeah. We were walking, yeah. I was in a jocka, he was in a jocka. Two lads were in a jocka, but no one wanted to give in. Yeah. No one wanted to admit that I'm out of breath walking up a hill and one of the lads was like, I'm just gonna stop, it. I don't care. And everyone was like, right, <laughs> then we'll wait on ya <laughs>
2: <laughs> <We're rolling. laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, like, it was like, oh, yeah, we climbed that. was like, but we didn't, though, we just walked up a hill. And that's why I can't get my head around young people. Like, I climbed this. What's the one, Karen Hill, the biggest one in yeah. late New Ireland? That's probably just a step I, I, hill I did but, that like, one. Well, that, not the biggest
1: one, though. No. But Karen Hill is the biggest one. Karen the highest. Karen is a horrible climb. Like is the, it a climb yeah, though it's, or, yeah. it's a horrible walk it, it's, called the, it's called the devil staircase and it's just boulders and a river and there's like you can snot yourself about 500 times on the way up it's shit I hated it like, and you, you think oh deadly it's only up there and it's all uh, false summits yeah, you know it's what I mean because the rock yeah. looks that big and then when you get up there the rock's like half the size of your gaff you're like oh man <laughs> but uh, it's good. Do you know what? Stick a bit of music on and I do a bit of hiking with a group called Dublin Boys Club who did a massive, massive event yesterday called, yeah, yeah, Shoulder to Shoulder with John Boland who you, yeah. you know from the yeah. shelters as well in Port Marnock and I think there was a couple of hundred lads there. It was insane. It was all for men's mental health yeah. and then um, I did a 12k hike, I was in Tenerife, so I was like, right, I can't miss out, so I did a 12k hike yesterday in Tenerife at the same time as the lads doing the shoulder to shoulder. Mine was definitely not as good crack, because I was getting absolutely lashed out of it by the sun. I was like, I
2: have to get a Ryanair in a few hours, (laughs) I was trying
1: to bait up the hill.
2: You were talking about doing gigs in Guatemala and and Mexico and stuff like that, and places that don't speak English. How does that work?
1: English comedy is like their English is so much better it's nearly better than ours now because the rise of YouTube and Netflix has made everyone's English in the world pretty incredible so that has opened the doors as a comedian to be able to pretty much gig anywhere so you'll always get expats and you'll always get people who can speak enough English to get what you're doing but I did an all Spanish gig so it was all uh, Spanish speaking, it was all Guatemalan comics and me and they put me on for 10 minutes but all the lads and the women who were in the audience worked in call centres so I had to put on a bit of an American accent <laughs> and slow down so they'd hear me if I went double, I was like alright what's the crack lads I yeah. might as well just come from another planet yeah. Like, who's this fella? And they got the jokes, they got the, yeah. No, yeah. I, I slowed it right down, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was just that's the number one thing when you're traveling as an Irish comic, you have to slow down. Even in New Zealand, they move like an iceberg over there when they're talking. It's like, I, get eye, hey, God. I had to, like, really, yeah. really slow
0: motion. And what made you do that? Like, like what made you head over to them parts where you know I'm on my comfort zone here? This is gonna be an unusual gig. I, I,
1: I loved I wanted to write a new show and it was around the time when we were doing the gigs in the flats and we weren't opened up yet and there was a weird time where you could kind of travel and you kind of yeah. couldn't. Do you remember that? So I figured out if I went from Dublin to Belfast, to go Belfast, London, London, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Mexico City, Mexico City, Guatemala City. I was on Skyscanner for about three days. <laughs> <laughs> but I, my mate owned a bar over in Guatemala and he goes to me, uh, he saw on Facebook, I was doing all the gigs in the flats, and he goes, come over here to Guatemala. He goes, uh, COVID's merely a suggestion. <laughs> 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 and uh, went over and had the crack. I remember my, I did loads of PCR tests, and remember we had to do them with the HSE and all that crack, and you'd have to get a text message and all, and then I had to get another one in the UK I had to get another one in Frankfurt and I wasn't allowed to leave Frankfurt Airport and then I remember getting to Mexico and I hadn't been out of an airport or a plane in three days I was losing my mind I just wanted a glass of water and take off the mask and I remember getting to the when I was leaving the, the airplane in Mexico and there was a young fellow wearing like a lab coat and he has a table set up. And I don't even think he worked there now. And I think back in it, right? It was, like, it was like a kid selling lemonade and then a stay. And I had a sign with mandatory PCR test, 50 US dollars. I was like, this is a fucking hidden camera show. Like, what's going on? And I get up to this kid. He's like 17, but had a deadly tash. Do you know what I mean? Like, he had like a proper Ronnie. He's like 17. He's like, hola. I was like, hola. And he goes, forward. I was like, what's he talking about? I was like, I'm at the desk. I couldn't go any further. And he goes, Forward. And I lean over, and he takes out this tiniest little PCR. It was like a little, a like, a kind of like, like it wasn't even. It was like a little, like toothpick thing, right? I was like, "What's going on?" And he just goes, P-p-p-. "Like didn't even hit a hair in my nose, right?" <laughs> and I was like, "What's the story?" And he goes, "Finished." I said, "Is that it?" And he went, "See." Sí. I said, well, "When do I get the results? Like, I don't, you don't have any of my information." And he goes. Result uh, resulting
0: Negative <laughs> I was
1: like Man I'm moving here That's it <laughs> I think he was using The same one for everyone On the flight <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's when I went to Mexico Around that time. Did you? It was yeah. like that mad dodge yeah. As well It was like mandatory But like you could pay but Yeah, yeah. Like, I was like What's this all about? And then you went Turn that negative Into a positive For a tenor. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I remember We walked through And then like We went into this Big huge massive room And there was like Little doors And you go through that But all the doors were connected To the one room again I yeah. was like this What the fuck it's is ludicrous. going on And you got the result instantly I was like that's fucking deadly Isn't it And then you, you were able To fly out on Your and result like, is handed to you Before it's gone into the lab Yeah <laughs> They had the result there With your name and all Before you even pay I was like this is fucking deadly Isn't mm-hmm. it But dodgy like Mad bleeding Bogey that is You have
2: shows coming up In January do
0: you I'm doing, doing a big
1: one Half a rings end going to be there I reckon someone's printing fake tickets to be honest
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I
1: was like how is there so many tickets selling but the numbers aren't going up what's going on here so I'm, I'm doing 15 years of stand up in like one big show in Liberty Hall on January 27th and we're filming it for a special so the lads who filmed the lockdown comedy special are going to film that as well Ah, class! so I yeah. thought it'd be good to reckon probably a few prisoners should be out by then they'll probably doorstep yeah.
0: <laughs> what, nice boots then on the TR yeah Yeah, and what
1: else have you got coming up then, and man? then I'm but touring uh, Uh, Sweet Child O'Brien. So I'm doing one gig in Cork on Friday in Collins and Cork. And then that show, which is the one I did in Edinburgh, is going to tour all over Ireland, the UK of a few European dates as well. Scotland. I always say Scotland separate from the UK because I know they're like us. (laughs) They want to be considered separate. And then that Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman show is going to be doing a couple of festivals as well. Class. Right. Where, where can people get the tickets for all this? Uh, all on my Instagram, just at the OB Comedy, and uh, or if you just jump on the Liberty Hall website. But all, everything's on my Instagram at the OB Comedy. Brilliant. And, uh,
0: grab them there. brilliant Danny, thanks for coming in. To thanks us for, for having, having me. I'll we'll really see you br- br- at Christmas for the cousin reunion. Yeah. Drop anyway. <laughs> <laughs> down to me, Nanas, for Sunday, didn't I? Right then, take us out there, Siobhan Boom. <laughs>
1: Subscribe to this podcast for
0: free on the Go Live app. What you waiting for?
1: What you back in?
2: they hip-knocker.